Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I am a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I am passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. Leadership is a topic often associated with and sought after as a representation of a man's masculinity. Whether you are the head of your household, the head of an organization, or leading a political movement, many of us define our worth and value by the power inherent in leadership. And yet, we've all seen many instances where that type of power is mishandled, misused, and even hoarded. What's clear to me is that we as men have more work to do when it comes to how we lead. And my next guest is here to help us do that work by helping us define leadership values that are aligned with the new masculine. Josh Saderman is the founder, CEO, and managing partner of Saderman Connect, a consulting firm that partners with organizations to navigate their journey, grow leaders, and evolve cultures. He and his team offer executive coaching, professional one-on-one coaching, diversity and inclusion, and leadership development. He's also co-written a book, Arrive, Drive, Thrive, which seeks to help aspiring, emerging, and growing leaders to empower their leadership. On a personal level, Josh identifies as a human, as a connector, and as a partner. So let's welcome Josh in, hear about the values that define his masculinity, and learn from his collaborative and connective leadership style. Welcome to The New Masculine, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thrilled to be here. It's wonderful to connect with you and to have you on here. Is there anything that I didn't mention in the in the introduction to this podcast that you think is important for people to know before we jump into this? Uh, I think it's important for people to know I'm joyful uh, and that I am a ball of energy and that I love what I do. And so uh, that covers a lot. But we'll uh, we'll dive into that as we talk. So all good. I have a strong assumption that people will pick up from that just hearing you speak today. <laughs> they, they don't get the visual representation like I do while we're recording this, but I'm sure people will hear that in your voice, both those things. <laughs> I hope so, actually, Travis. I hope so. So. Yeah, great. So let's talk a little bit about masculinity and what it means to you. Like if you reflect back on your childhood growing up as a little boy in this in this country, in this world, what are some of the stories that come to mind about what you learned about being a man? Oh, such a powerful question. Um, as, as the audience now knows, I, uh, I am an executive coach. And so I love a powerful open question. Um, you know, it's been a lot of change. Uh, and I, I think part of uh, exponential growth when it comes to, I don't know, think of a business like an Amazon, right? Or um, digital photography versus film, right? Like, you know, the, if, you th- if you compare that to the way that culture has moved in my generation, I'm, I'm pretty open about the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm a millennial, but just barely, I'm 40. And so I'm just in that early 80s. Um, you know, we've come a long way from the uh, AIDS crisis to um, moving into the early 2000s. Um, I am a, a very, a very proud gay man. Um, and so uh, masculinity, sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, lots of those factors have converged together to define for me what it means to be a man. And lots of myth busting on what it means not to be a man. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and so I, I have I have a, a lot of stories. Would you Would you like to hear some, Travis? I would love to. That's kind of the point. 
<laughs> okay, okay. So I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big storytelling fan. I'll kick off by saying something I learned about myself, and and that was really important to my leadership journey was to state who I am, to acknowledge what I bring, and take away, strip away somebody else owning my story. So one of the stories I would share with the audience is that my voice tends to be very dramatic, high inflection. My voice in general is also high, right? It's not a very deep voice. And so growing up, not just in those awkward ages of puberty, but in those early sort of adolescent into early adulthood, um, people would say to me, wow, you're so dramatic. And what I felt was not drama. What I felt was passion. But passion and emotion uh, were quintessentially thought of as feminine characteristics. And I loved that part of myself. I loved that the, the parts of me that I valued, um, whether it was loved ones or community or career, that I was really passionate about was not me being dramatic, but me being all in. And to me, all in was also about being a great leader. That if I wanted to commit to something, I was giving my full self to it or bringing, said differently, my full authentic self to that experience. And so as I've learned and grown, something for me that I now offer folks that I'm meeting either for the first time or reintroducing through time and time again is I will own it. My voice is going to sound passionate because I am passionate about this subject. It's not to be dramatic. It's not to over-emotionalize it. It's to be emphatic that my belief is around this. How do we work together to solve X, right? And, and, and bring that into the conversation. That's a story I would share with this audience around owning yourself and, and bringing that human connection side um, to what does it mean to be a man. I love that you share that story because one of the things that we've been talking about on previous episodes of The New Masculine is, is this thing that we've all as men have internalized growing up in this culture, that there's a stoicism that, that sort of is the marker of our masculinity, that we don't get emotionally wrapped up in things unless we're angry maybe. Or, uh, yeah, pretty much anger is one of the few that we're allowed to express. Um, but there's like this stoicism that's associated with the ideals of masculinity. And I think what you're saying in claiming your, uh, passion, your all in this is, is that that's not how you define your masculinity. That stoicism that like sort of emotionally removed from your life and what you're engaging in piece. Um, it sounds like you're the, actually viewing masculinity for yourself as the complete opposite of that. It is. I think context matters. Um, when we talk as a, as a Saderman Connect group with our, uh, our partners, clients, community um, about bringing authentic self to work, um, it doesn't mean we can't be objective or we can't uh, take some of the bias out of the way that we, we bring our energies to a room. It does mean, however, that when we are passionate or we do feel strongly about a subject, that we don't hold back from that, that we don't limit ourselves or say no for ourselves or our audience by not offering that passion to the group. Um, and so there's just a, a nice, a nice balance there. And when you move through the world, not limiting yourself in that way, what's the world's reaction to you as you as a man walk in this world, not limiting yourself when you feel passionate about <laughs> something, when you emotionally engage, what's the world's reaction to that? <laughs> Oh, Travis, I joke that I, I, I <laughs> when I was born, I, I came out and said, hello, world, I'm here to break the mold. <laughs> so um, so I, I think the world reacts in different ways. It's hard to generalize. I think uh, part of my personality is building deep relationships. I call myself a connector, which is why the company is called Saderman Connect, because I, I do feel like you learn about yourself through other people's stories, not just myself, anyone's self. I feel that people, when they get to know somebody, build trust. I feel like when you build trust, you can share more openly and, and take some of those judgments or biases out of the conversation to create growth mindset, open-mindedness. And so most people react to me um, in, in, a, in, a, in a positive way, right? In a sense that uh, I come across with a bit more presence and confidence because I've learned over the years to embrace I am who I am. Who I am is masculine as I want it to be. I don't need necessarily the world to categorize me as masculine or feminine. 
Um, I'm Josh, and this is what I bring to the conversation. And for the audience, um, I, I am short. I am five foot four on a tall day. I have pretty long hair, shoulder length, brown hair. I'm, I'm a bit curvy in that sense. Um, and so um, I, I, I don't also look the part. And that's quintessential again, quote unquote, I'm not six foot four tall, you know, fill in the blank. Um, and so my, my masculine, just from a, a, a visual perspective, before I've even opened my mouth, is also quite different than what somebody might picture if they close their eyes and picture what does a man look like. Uh, so I just I would offer that to the to the audience just to say that that's also a, a dimension of my diversity that's part of this journey. And so you have such clear understanding of how the world could see you from what I hear what I'm hearing from you in this is that you have a clear understanding of how the world could see you. You have a clear understanding of self and ability to claim self um, and to locate self independently from the viewpoints of other people. My hunch is, based on also being a gay boy in this world, is is that it, you didn't always probably have that sort of same success in being able to just claim who you are, that there might have been some challenges or some some conflict that arose for you or tension that arose for you growing up trying to embody your own version of masculinity, your own self as a being that has value and worth? Tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah no, you're not wrong. I, I would share that growing up, um, I, I will not say that I was picked on more than anybody else. I'm very careful and very clear with my language. Uh, my story is mine. It is, it is unique in that sense, but um, I wouldn't offer that mine is more or less, I would say, extreme. But, but, for me, I would share that, you know, growing up in high school, um, there was a, a moment, and I, I wasn't overly fast, but I was somewhat, I'll say the word healthy. Um, and so I, I ran a pretty quick mile. And during uh, ninth grade PE, for lack of an explanation, um, I was running my, you know, mile, fill in the blank around the track. And at one point, the, uh, a group of bullies, uh, decided that it was appropriate that as I came across that starting point each and every time in those laps would chase after me and try and either tackle me or pull my pants down or do, do something that was disrespectful, that was rude. And the coach with the clipboard, um, quintessential, again, iconic sort of man and that, and that sense of picture um, was laughing, right? So here we are, you know, as a, as a ninth grader, a young, a young guy, um, not not sure that I was gay, not sure who I was, not hitting my stride as a leader, just a kid and uh, and being bullied. Right. And so I don't again, I don't I don't say that story because it's it's unique in that sense. I'm sure many, many people have faced uh, parts of what that looked like. But, you know, growing up, people would say, you know, why do you walk that way or why do you talk that way or. You know, um, I liked to dress um, not not in an eclectic way. I was I was a very proud employee of the gap at 16. Um, you know, so I, 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 I dressed polish. I dressed like I worked at the gap, um, at the time it was the nineties. Um, so I would offer that there was, um, a look to me, a feel to me that, that I didn't understand at the time. Um, and it was not because I was gay and it was not because I was short or it was not because I was any of the other dimensions of my diversity, it just because that's what I, it, it's what made me comfortable, even in those moments that were very uncomfortable. As I grew up, and as I learned that there was no one way to walk, everybody walked with a little bit of a different gait. As I learned that um, I wasn't the only one being picked on in high school, there were many people being picked on in high school for lots of ridiculous reasons. Um, as I learned that adults um, can be very caring and loving and not be bystanders or accept standards that were less than acceptable to treat humans, uh, I was able to, to right-size what it meant for me to be a man, what it meant for me to bring my masculinity, my manhood to the world and to embrace those parts of myself that are quintessentially me. 
And so who were those adults or those people in your life that were helping you evolve that perspective to be able to see that there wasn't one way of walking, that there wasn't one way to be a man, that there wasn't one way to um, sort of engage with what we perceive as difference? Like you described some of that hazing and that sort of picking on that most of us boys have experienced at different times. It's pretty normal in boy culture. Um, who were those adults that offered that other perspective for you or that, that other way of being? Um, a couple of folks, uh, there were moments in my life and then there were individuals over time. Um, I would start with overarchingly, there were some really powerful women who made me feel more of a man in that sense than some of the men in my life. Beyond just loved ones or, or family, but folks like, I talk a lot about Becky Dannenfelser, who was one of my first senior, senior executives. She was part of the C-suite of the company that I joined coming out of college. And uh, Becky was a brilliant retailer. She became a brilliant executive coach. I do talk about the fact that she unfortunately lost her battle to breast cancer. Um, and even in those you know six, seven, eight years of struggling with that, demonstrated what it was like to be a human, to be a leader. Uh, she taught me a lot about how to be yourself, how to carve out your own space. And through that, uh, explore the journey of what it means to be a man on your terms. Bring that to the world. Lead by example, by offering that, not with caveats or asterisks, you know, but just, just be you and allow you to set the stage for what does it mean to be a man. So Becky has been a part of my journey in many ways. Um, I, I would share a lot of the bosses that I had subsequently in my retail career happened to be women or happened to be men who were, again, not this, uh, this stereotype of what it means to be a man. And so, again, they were short, they were tall, they were more feminine, they were less feminine, they, they, they cared about clothes, they cared about people. Right. So again, it, it broke down that, that stereotype of being a man has to mean X, whatever X was, fill in the blank, depending on, on, on who's uh, reflecting on it. I would say there were moments for me. I remember being in, in uh, camp. Um, I, I, I don't uh, ever discount some of the privilege that I, I had uh, growing up and still have today. And, and one of the access points that I had was going to, to summer camp. And in that summer camp experience, uh, there was a moment probably in the early 90s where I was a teenager and I still remember his, his name. Um, I won't share it necessarily just to, to keep things somewhat confidential for that individual. But this man who I met once at summer camp talked about being gay, having HIV, and living his life. And at the moment, I really didn't know what gay meant. I was still too young to fully understand boys, girls, men, women, spectrum of sexuality. I just, it, it, was, it was still beneath me in that sense of, of knowledge or understanding. What I did know is that this man was brave. He was standing in front of young people. He was talking about his experience openly. And there was such guts. There was such confidence. And I could just, I, I would love to, find this person hopefully in my life to be able to, to offer gratitude and grace and, and respect to the fact that he set the tone for himself on what it meant to be a leader, to be a man, to share openly, to leave some of those unconscious biases to the wayside, or at least have awareness around them. And so there are moments like that in my life where this individual, Becky, many of the bosses that I've had um, opened me up to perspectives and different angles to look at who you are as a human and bring that with you, bring that uniqueness of who you are to all the conversations, all the meetings, all of the passions that you want to accomplish in your life. What I'm struck by while listening to you is, is that you have this um, more freedom from the rules of masculinity than I think most men have. Like I even reflect on myself. I'm having these conversations all the time. This is the focus of a lot of my work. This has my, been my own personal journey. And I can still see myself caught up in some of the ways that I need to be representing myself as a man in this world to show my masculinity. 
And in your storytelling, I hear this freedom to really just self-define and really choose like coming into the world as a man on your own terms. Like I'm just struck by the level of freedom that you have. Do you see that in yourself or is that um, just something that I'm romanticizing in my head as I listen to you? <laughs> well, I am human. I always have uh, uh, the the moments, I shouldn't say always, I, I, I do have as a human the moments of um, confidence and am, am I fill the blank X, Y, or Z, which I'll, I'll fill in those blanks in a moment. Um, at the same time, just to laugh about it. I mean, I, I will be literally in a male men's restroom where there are urinals and I will be at the urinal. I, I mean, I'm talking sport games, restaurants, doesn't matter. You name it. Doesn't matter if it's North South, New York city, part of Alabama, doesn't matter. Right. And and I am standing at the urinal and I am using the restroom appropriately. <laughs> and uh, a man will walk in and, and sort of do the stutter step. Oh, oh, oh I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, and, and, and walk out of the restroom. Or I'll be entering the door and somebody will yell behind me, wrong restroom. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I laugh about it. I, I have to laugh about it because it's a little ridiculous. I can read a sign. Yes, people may walk into the wrong door. And, and, and so I appreciate that folks may be trying to save someone, myself included, maybe a little bit of embarrassment. Um, and at the same time, it happens more often than I, I could even tell you on, the, on, on our conversation today. And so you have to laugh about it because there's something ironic. Again, remember, short, five foot four, a little curvy, long hair, right? I bring myself. That part of who I am, I have had to, if there's no option over time, um, get more comfortable with because life is precious and life is short. I've learned that lesson through all of these folks, including Becky, who I talked about, who lost her life too short, um, right? So what, 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 does it, what does it help me to live in a moment where I'm not happy in my own skin? That being said, there are moments when, yeah, is it, is it annoying to be at the restroom and, and turn around and be like, guy, I'm a, I'm a dude. Like, let me explain to you how genitalia work. Like, it wouldn't work standing at a urinal if I didn't have the right equipment, right? So there, there's some moments of levity to it in the seriousness of it, right? Um, I would share, just to circle back, um, Travis, I, I, I would share that um, I am a I am a CEO. I'm a I'm a co-chair of a nonprofit board. I'm the president of my condo board. I, I do a lot, and I like to be involved. And there are moments where I say to myself, um, am, "Am I able to steer folks this way? Um, are, are people um, responsive to that? Um, are, are people enjoying my leadership? Am I bringing openness to the conversation? Am I listening enough? Um, am I acting with courage?" Am I sharing enough vulnerability? I think there are always moments as a human where you question. Uh, part of the reason why I wanted to become a coach and why I wanted credentials in, in, uh, in diversity and inclusion is I also wanted to get better as a human, as a leader, about leading conscientiously, about being self-aware, about staying in a moment of vulnerability is a sign of strength. And we can go through all the greats from Brene Brown to Simon Sinek to fill in the blank on all of those great leaders that are out there that share that with the world. And so how do I also represent that? And so while there are moments where I'm, I'm lack of courage or lack of confidence um, as a human, um, I'm also reminded of the parts of me that I bring to the world are mine and I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty special. So those that can, can receive it, are going to experience that greatness. And those that can't receive it or are not in a growth mindset to be on the journey with me, then they're not the people I want to be around. They're not the people that are ready to receive what I have to offer. I love listening to you because I think for many of us as men, we, when the world relates to us in ways that in some ways diminish our masculinity or perceived that way, we often shrink or hide away parts of ourselves. Um, but what I'm hearing, even though you have a lifetime of that, of having those moments of being uh, feminized in some way, even at the bathroom, 
that you don't use that as an excuse to hide. You give that gives you more permission to keep showing up exactly who you are in this world and to take up more space. And I can't think of anything more masculine than that, actually, is to just to not um, be influenced so much around the perspectives of others, especially strangers who don't even know you, but to really like self-locate and, and respect and honor your own sovereignty as a being like that feels very masculine to me, even when the world is relating to you in a way that might quote unquote feminize you in some way. Yeah, I mean, there's again, in coaching, you learn to create mindfulness, awareness, and perspective. And, and like, I hope like most therapists who hopefully have a therapist, most coaches should and and uh, could consider having a coach. So I, I offer that again in the spirit of creating presence and mindfulness and awareness. Part of it is like, what's the angle, right? Like what's the lens or perspective that you're viewing this within, right? So I, I am choosing, not always easy, but I am choosing to um, – put myself in a perspective where maybe somebody is learning from me that I am a cisgender man. I happen to be gay. I happen to be short. I happen to like having a little bit longer hair. I will carry a bag of some sort because I got a lot of shit and I want it with me. So I'm prepared. And, you know, it reminds me a bit, Travis, of this whole idea of, again, growing up, with love, I, see, I share this journey that, you know, my, most of the men on my father's side, my parents are divorced, but on my father's side, uh, most of the men were, were affiliated in some way with the Boy Scouts. And the Boy Scout mantra was be prepared. And we talk about how being prepared in the Boy Scouts is, you know, having the right match with you in case it's raining, you need a fire or the right layering piece if it's cold, or, you know, and you collect the badges around that honor of being a man in the wilderness and conquering nature. And my bag is an extra set of Tylenol or Advil, a couple band-aids, a couple wipes in case, you know, someone needs to clean something. I'll, I'll carry with me, a, you know, my swell with some water, I'll, you know, I, my wallet, my things, you know, I, I, I have no issue being prepared. My lens of being prepared, which makes me feel like a man, is that if somebody needs something, I can be there for them, right? That's not a feminine character. That's not just reserved for mothers. That's reserved for humans to be able to support other humans. And so, again, there's another lesson in terms of what does it mean to be a man? And in that, in that stereotype of being a man through those lens, not that I'm knocking the Boy Scouts or I'm saying it's wrong or bad. I'm not at all. I think for many people... The, for the for those folks, Boy Scouts is great, and I'll, I'll I'll honor that and respect that, and I'll build on it. I'll build it by saying there's more than one way for a man to be prepared. That is such an interesting sort of metaphor to reflect on about how we teach little boys to be men and to to sort of step into themselves as independent beings by teaching them preparedness in Boy Scouts, and yet walking around New York City with a bag doesn't have the same connotation as that sort of prepared boy in the Boy Scouts. It has more of a feminine leaning interpretation and can be criticized at that point. So it's just interesting that there's this, we define sort of boyhood into manhood by that preparedness and that uh, in, in parts of our culture. And yet once you're a man and you are prepared and have a bag full of things that are useful, then somehow you're feminized in some way. Well, I'll take it a step further, Travis. I'll, I'll say I don't actually feel out of place in New York. If I if I ever felt out of place, not again to stereotype, but um, me walking around as myself in some of the parts of the South or some of the parts of the West, uh, I'm not talking about LA or San Francisco. I'm talking about those in-betweens, right? Where um, those types of rural environments, walking around with my handbag, not that it's a, a female handbag, not that I'm shopping for a bag necessarily in a women's store, although I am happy to, and I have on occasion bought a handbag that way. But I, I share that, again, context matter, lens matter. Somehow along the way, it became acceptable for men to put a wallet in their back pocket, keys in their front pocket, walk out the door, and God forbid, they can use their bare hands to move through anything in life. <laughs> right. And that became this like definition. So people have, I mean, I've had in depth conversations with friends who are like, why do you carry so much stuff? Well, because I'm prepared. 
because if I need to make a run, I do live in New York City. We have gone through September 11th, brownouts, hurricanes. You know, we, we've gone through those occasions. So if I need something slash if somebody else, my neighbor, my community, a loved one needs something, I feel more comfortable being outside of my own home, being prepared, right? So I, I, I will break that stereotype by offering that being a man is not solving the world's problems with your bare hands. <laughs> it's having the tools at your disposal, right? To really conquer what the world needs from us. So, you know, I, and there are moments where I am in those other environments that are not a city that I am uncomfortable and I'm uncomfortable for my safety, not because I'm uncomfortable because of who I am. I'm uncomfortable because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm in an environment where, where somebody is open-minded enough to give me the chance to talk to them and share my story. And there are parts of this world that are not that way, that are not open-minded enough to ask me about my story. So they, they bucket me in a way that is unsafe or unsettling. And in those moments, I have lack of confidence. In those moments, I am scared, not because I'm embarrassed about who I am, but more than that, I know that the world is not prepared to hear me authentically for who I am. You're pointing to one of the huge flaws that I see in our, the way that we, as a culture, sort of uh, talk to men and we sh we ask men to be in this world. That in some ways that by having a bag or walking a certain way or having a different body shape or having long hair, that something like that can become a physical, like a physical safety threat. That at some point that if you represent yourself in any of these ways that we have now classified as feminine, that now your physical safety is, is at risk. Not only are you potentially going to be rejected for who you are, but now your physical safety can be uh, at risk too. That that's such a flaw to me and that it, it I just it's a hard for me to wrap my head around like why we have villainized and created such um uh, rejection of of the ways that people can show up and and be in the world. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me actually of a story. Um, again, not to call out a particular state. You know, trying to balance that idea of thoughtful and transparent and holding people accountable, and also. Um, but I was I was working with a, a client, um, and I was given an opportunity to travel to a state to do some work um, and to do some learning. So it was, it was, it was really some amazingness for me because I would learn, grow, add value and have a new experience. Unfortunately, the state had just recently at the time passed a law that doctors could make the decision not to operate on me because I was gay, not a reflection on him, a man or a woman, right? Not in that cisgender, transgender sort of arena, um, but more based on orientation, they could make that decision. And again, first of all, that's an invisible dimension of my diversity. I, I do not, just so that the audience knows, I don't have a rainbow flag tattooed to my forehead, right? You'd have to ask me, other than the fact that, you know, I'm married to a man, you know, am I gay, right? And I had to make the decision not to travel because the reality is that if I got to that state and I had, I don't know, appendicitis, fill in the blank, and I needed to be at a hospital, was I willing to take the risk from a health perspective to have somebody not operate on me strictly because I was gay? And the answer is no. The answer is, is that that is something that that population of that state should be uberly aware of. And by the way, if they don't want me there, that's fine. That's okay too. Right. But let's have that conversation and be direct about it and transparent about it and bring that to the conversation because I would welcome any human to New York in the spirit of healthy conversation and thoughtfulness, not, not anything else, but from the standpoint of, I wouldn't want to limit somebody from coming to the, to the New York area um, because we wouldn't operate on them if they needed us to, <laughs> right? Like that's just not how my brain thinks. Um, such a relevant so, example right now in the current world that we live in with COVID going on. It's right. like, what if you were traveling in that state and you uh, had, you got COVID, all of a sudden you test positive and now you're having symptoms and you get short of breath and then you now have to go to the hospital right. and receive care, but you're in a, in that state and potentially you don't get cared for because of something right. that's beyond your control, out of your control. And as you were saying, it's not something that somebody would have to probably make an assumption 
rather than actually knowing whether you are gay or not. Like if you're in that kind of health crisis, it's probably not the first thing you're going to tell your doctor that you're gay (laughs) and you're going to be talking about how you can't breathe and you can't get oxygen. And so then that doctor can now make an assumption based on his, his or her perspective of you and then, and then keep care from you. That's, it's a pretty tough reality for me to even like, I'm such a values driven person that that's such a clash with my values Mm -hmm. that it's hard for me to even like make sense of that. Yeah, I mean, again, just for storytelling and, and current events, there's a there's a, a man that thinks it's funny. And again, I don't want to necessarily get into the politics of it because I don't I don't think masks or COVID health are politics, and we've we've way over politicized it. It's about human health and about valuing humanity. Uh, but there's a man that thinks it's funny to get onto an environment. I don't know if it's a plane or a train or whatever it is, um, and he's wearing a red women's thong on his face as a replacement for a mask to talk about how ridiculous it is. And the first thought I had when I saw this article, right, wrong, or indifferent, was why isn't this man taking his own nasty fruit of the looms off of his body and wearing them on his face versus a woman's red thong? How ridiculous of it that he's not only doing something ridiculous and risking people's health, but he's also not taking his own underwear and doing this. <laughs> He's taking somebody else's and doing this. So, and again, I, I come back to that, that underlying conversation you started with is, is, is what does leadership mean? You know, what does it mean in the context of being a man and what does it mean to be a man and to lead by example? And, you know, there's just some really awkward things. I'll call them awkward, um, <laughs> bizarre things that are happening in our world today that, are getting confused with what does it mean to be a man, <laughs> right? And and so I shared true. a couple of the examples I'm having in my in my brain. That's so true, and I think there's validity and importance to talking about those things and pointing to some of the places where it's like, why is and like so that we can start to question why is this being associated with manhood or masculinity? And yet, one of the values of of this podcast and my one of my values that I bring into it is that we're Yes, we can look at those things, but then we are also going to turn our gaze towards the future and where we're headed and really reflect on where we want to be as men, where, where, what are our new ideals and our values. And so I'd love to start pulling you out on some of that. Um, you talk, you very clearly are somebody that can define self, that can show up in the world with your own values and clarity about who you are rather than who you're supposed to be. I'm guessing that's also true of your leadership style. So I'd love to hear how you define your leadership style and maybe what are some of the values that are embedded within it? What a great question. Um, It took me a minute to gain the confidence on my leadership style. I won't say more so than masculinity. Um, I would just say that it took me a minute to wrap my head around What does it mean to bring my authentic leadership self to the room? Now, to add some context to this, uh, I, I, I was raised in retail. That was sort of how I, the industry I was in for the most part. And I was with a company, uh, Macy's. I was with Macy's Inc. for a very long time before I made the decision to, to do something different. And I decided to do something different. Uh, again, you know, I, I talk a lot about mentors. Uh, Molly Langenstein is a, is a mentor of mine. Um, it's in our book. It's it's something I've written articles about in terms of Becky and Molly and people like Jill Katz and many others who uh, brought their journeys into the interactions I had with them in retail. Through those experiences I had, I became very exposed to diverse thinking. Nobody, there was no leader I had, no mentor per se that I had that directly said, you know, great leadership is also about diverse thinking. Not that I remember, maybe they said it and I just didn't catch on to it, but nobody really shared that um, in, a, in a way that, you know, hit my brain as a memory. So as I was learning my leadership style, I was thinking about what did it mean to honor diverse thinking? That opened my mind up a lot to the world of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. 
So many people look at that lens through a lens of race or a lens of gender or a lens of orientation, fill in the blank on the ism, right? And all of those isms are incredibly important and meaningful, critical to the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging conversation. And we have many dimensions to our diversity. So I share that context to now fast forward. You know, I left corporate in the sense to begin something new in corporate. We launched Saderman Connect because we wanted to bring six core values to the clients, the communities, people that we interacted with and had the pleasure of serving and, and being a part of their organizations. We, we wanted to bring balance. We wanted to bring conscientiousness. We wanted to bring courage, growth mindset, safety, and vulnerability to a leadership journey. We wanted to bring those values because those are the values that I wish I had early in my career. I wish I had more courage to speak up. I wish I had more vulnerability to share where I was feeling insecure. I wish I had more safety to feel that I could offer feedback in a judgment-free way. Right? I wish I had balance to be able to clean my brain to then work harder and celebrate the, the wins, the achievements, the mistakes in my working journey. So I think part of it is life. I think part of it is circumstance. I think part of it is individuality. Uh, for me, it took me a moment to absorb all of that, let it sink in, marinate in it for a minute. And I am now very proud of the work that our company is doing. I'm very proud with my growth and my learnings. I have a lot more to learn, a lot more to grow. Um, at the same time, I, I feel great about what I'm learning. And that's part of my leadership model too. I, I mean, I love all of these values. These are so important. And I, I really understand why you wish you had those things earlier on and why you're offering those to leaders moving forward. For you specifically and for your for your organization, why is impacting leaders and, and shifting sort of ideas around uh, leadership, why does that feel so important to you? Because fulfillment is different than engagement. Because organizations for years have talked about engagement through the lens of how is the employee connected to the company. And I think there's an opportunity for companies to connect with their people. Because we have a very short life <laughs> and, as, and I value life tremendously. Life is beautiful. Our, our world is beautiful. As much complexity exists today, as much infighting and ridiculous divisive issues are, are plaguing us, we still are able to send people to space. Whether you agree with Jeff Bezos from the blank, going to space is a different conversation. Let's just start with, we are flying to space, <laughs> right? As a human race as, 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 a, as a humankind, we are doing amazing things. We are our best selves when we celebrate that. So putting humanity back in the workplace, working with leaders to be better leaders is about expanding innovation, using our precious minds to create better, to build stronger, to be more united. Knocking us down doesn't get us far. It doesn't get us into airplanes. <laughs> Working together is what makes an airplane fly. So I, as much as I'm on a soapbox and I, and I know it, I am super. And again, now you hear it come full circle in our, in our time together. I'm passionate about this. And I'm passionate about it because we, when we work together, are better. So our goal, my goal was to start Saderman Connect and work with Nettie Nitzberg, our head of learning and leadership. Work with Michael, head of customer and, and customer care. Work with Natalie Spiro, head of experience. Right. Work with our organization to look at those emerging, aspiring, growing leaders and support them thinking about what's possible when we work together. What's possible when we're conscientious? What's possible when we have courage? Because in those moments, companies can perform greatness. And in those moments of greatness, you offer employees fulfillment. You offer them connection to the life that they're living, that they're spending 40 hours plus a week in your offices, whether it's virtual or in person, how do you create connection and make it significant so that they live beautiful, valued lives? That's what we do. 
It seems like connection is such an important part of the work that you do. I, I remember uh, your LinkedIn profile. You talked about you talk about being like connector, being a connector as one of your superpowers. You talk a lot about connection. You self-identify within that, and you're really leading with that place. What it sort of flies in the face of what we often think of as masculine leadership. Often, I don't necessarily think our models have necessarily been very connective or connection based. And so it sounds like you're actually transforming the models that we've been having around, um, around leadership to involve more of that feminine element, not femininity or female. I mean, feminine energy, which is often more collaborative, connective, community based. And that that is a big part of where not only we as individual men are shifting, but where our, our like work and corporate cultures need to shift to. Does that feel yep. accurate to you? Totally. Well said. And what what do you think are the benefits of having uh, more of a corporate world or or a, a business world that in, that values connection and that also is really moving out of engagement into more of a fulfillment style for people? You know, I, I, to me, it's just, it's very straightforward. It's just, again, it comes back to the, the values around it is accomplishing great work, accomplishing great goals. I, I very rarely coach somebody and ask, you know, what, what is something you'd love to accomplish? And that individual says nothing, <laughs> right? People, what makes humans so unique is, is their ability to have ambition and their ability to, 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 to want to accomplish something. Whether it's, you know, a relationship, whether it's, you know, something in a career, whether it's uh, becoming a parent um, or getting back to an elder or, or, or a younger, it doesn't matter, right? There's, there's something that drives humans. And so how do we as leaders support that? Understand. And so I, I often, whether it's in a coaching engagement, a life engagement, I will ask these three questions and I, I didn't make them up. I was taught them over the years. And again, I give a lot of credit to my mentors and leaders that came before me that educated me on these questions. Um, and these questions are, is, is what motivates you? What does success look like for you? And how do you like to be recognized? And they're powerful. They're, 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 they're beyond that fulfillment line in the sand, so to speak, where if you understand what motivates someone? What motivates someone for the day may be that their kids are at home sick or they're not in school today because there was a COVID outbreak or fill in the blank. What motivates them may be that they have an elder parent or their marriage is struggling or they're having a hard time making ends meet because our supply chain is a little, a little screwy today and uh, it's expensive. Health insurance is expensive, right? So if you can understand motivations, you can understand then what does success feel like? How can you support that person? How do you lift them up? So I do talk about connection in, in that very passionate way of, as a leader, your job is to inspire. Your job is to lift up. I used to say to my teams when I was working internally in corporate settings, my job was to be the linebacker and clear the path for you. I want you to do your greatness. I want you to do what you want to do to drive these results. How do I clear the path for you? Get out of your way, right? And so that, that's something that I think leaders can do more of is be healthy listeners, get really comfortable and really good at providing feedback. Don't be afraid of a tough conversation. Lean into the tough conversation so you get more clarity on what motivates, what feels successful, and how do you recognize somebody for their talents. So those are, those are attributes, um, values, or I'll call them even skills, um, that leaders can get better at, that can create more heightened connections. So to me, it is feminine in that sense of, of what is a stereotype around it. To me, it, we, we have an obligation as leaders in this space to move it to these are the hallmark attributes of being a great leader. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I to continue applying it to real world examples is like we are in this in the middle of a, a time frame where our work life and our job market has sort of is turning in on itself. There's the great resignation where people are leaving jobs and, and places are having a hard time really filling roles and to actually have enough staff to work at different places. And I don't necessarily see a lot of listening going on around what's caused that. Why are people choosing to not reenter the workforce? What would help them actually be able to work, join the, rejoin the workforce? 
I, I see a lot of like, mm, we'll maybe throw some extra money at people, but there actually isn't a whole lot of listening to what is the motivation behind this great shift we're going through as a culture around work. We had a big disruptor come through that put us all mostly working from home. Not everybody was able to do that, but many of us were disrupted in those ways. And so what are we actually learning from this big disruption? Uh, and more listening, I think, needs to happen so that we can actually start to evolve into this next iteration rather than continuing to try to force it to be what it used to be. Yeah, there's always these moments. That I'm, I'm a big fan of history, um, not to be, in a sense, stuck in the past, but to understand what's happened in the past, to think about what could happen, what are the possibilities for our future. And you can see that even in humankind over the years where there have been setbacks, war, genocide, any of the, the, the horrible things that we're capable of doing to each other, um, you also see the progress that comes out of that, sort of, sort of the, the expression out of the ashes. And in some ways, my, my hope for our world in these ashes of COVID is that we remember that life is short and life is precious. And, and how do we maximize the time that we have? And so one of the things that we're hearing a lot from organizations, whether we're just in conversations or we're moving into, into partnership, is, is people are asking us, what's your inclusion strategy? People are asking us, um, what does it mean to have balance and work remotely? What does it mean? To, so, and, and we've seen the trend. If you look back at the writing on the wall, we've seen the trends, right? That, that working from home was not invented from COVID. Zoom existed before COVID. <laughs> Microsoft Teams existed before COVID, right? Um, that the concept of endless vacation, right? Like unlimited vacation versus you only get two weeks existed before COVID. It was this, it was this undercurrent of, of humans at work trying to get it all done. Be parents, be community members, be loved ones, be in a workplace environment, commit to a career, right? And so, yeah, I, I feel very passionate that if we can have one learn that comes out of this is how do we make the work environment a bit more human? How do we as leaders um, start thinking about masculine energy as being connected to those? I, I don't like the old framework of soft skills. Um, thank you, Simon Sinek and many others. We, we like to refer to them as critical skills because listening is not soft. Providing feedback that's actionable is not soft, right? It's not feminine or masculine. It's critical. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. Offering somebody the respect of listening to their words is called human. And so, you know, we, we, I bring that, we bring that, um, but it's something very important to me that has evolved my mentality past this, this concept of masculine feminine and, and moved it into a place of great leaders. I love that you have changed it to critical skills from soft skills because I tend to see my skill set in the world as often falling into that soft skills category. And there's a, I don't necessarily know that it was intended this way, but there is sort of a devaluing of soft skills. There is sort of a, a, an undervaluing of them. And so I love that you bring them forward as a, and you redefine them as critical because then they give them the, the importance that they require and that they need in order to actually be something that we cultivate, that we practice, that we engage with over time, rather than just something that we keep over there. Oh, yeah, those soft skills that we just kind of keep to the side, but they actually get to come front, front and center as an important aspect of the way we move forward. Well, again, I, I like to storytell. I like to draw analogies so that people start to see it in a different lens, right? So I, I come back to listening, right? Let's go back to the airplane example. doesn't matter who's in the the pilot captain chair or the first captain chair, right? There's two people sitting and flying a plane. If they're not listening, that plane is in danger, right? Think of all the people that it takes to get the airplane from a ground and a gate on the runway and in the air safely and landed, right? And think about how many hundreds of thousands of planes take off here. And yes, there are accidents. Why? Like, if you think about some of the things that have happened with right? 737s and all that, right? It, it, it's, it's directly related to listening, providing feedback, having transparency, being vulnerable when there's something that's happening, that's a mistake, right? So I, I draw it back to, we sometimes get very focused on our own world and what's happening within our specific environment. When you take a step back and gain different perspective and look up and take a deep breath, there's nothing soft about a pilot listening to air traffic control. 
There's nothing soft about providing the flight attendants with feedback to keep people in their seat if there's turbulence, right? There's nothing soft about that. Those are critical. So for us to diminish those qualities and then bucket them into a stereotype of feminine or masculine, it's human, right? We are our best human selves when we offer that listening feedback are, are really, quite frankly, critical to our existence. That's such a great metaphor to help us really like truly question, reflect on these quote unquote soft skills, but now we're redefining as critical skills. I think that's such a powerful example for us to be able to reflect on. We we want air traffic controllers to be listening. <laughs> we want right. pilots to be listening. We want that to be there and we want that to be like top of the list. And so why wouldn't that be true of all of our work out there in the world? All of our ways of showing up with each other, all of our ways of engaging in community with each other. Even those ways of listening to self, like there are so many different layers at which listening is an important and critical skill set so that we can find what motivates us so that we can lead so that we can follow so that we can um, move towards these things that we want for our lives, these things that would help us feel fulfilled, like even fulfillment, you have to learn how to listen in to know what would create fulfillment for yourself. Or that you are unfulfilled in something when you're working. So I, I love that example. I think it's a really powerful one. So you you are so passionate about leadership that you've even written co-written a book, Arrive, Drive, Thrive. If somebody was to pick up this book, it was a leader or somebody that was interested in the book, what can they expect from this book? Yeah, great question. So, uh, so we we created this book, um, and, the, and the we is myself, um, Nettie Nitzberg, uh, and Gerald Hutchinson. Gerald is um, actually one of my um, executive coaches from years ago when I was in one of the more senior uh, leadership academies at Macy's, um, and we we began to coach and chat and form our relationship. And so, Gerald, Nettie, and I. We're really passionate about thinking about, again, going back to these ideas of critical versus soft skills, of, of really thinking about how much time and space is offered individuals in the workplace around technical skills, hard skills, how to learn the math for engineering, how to learn the, the Excel spreadsheet, fill in the blank on the technical skills that are, are learned from the first moment you walk in the door at an organization. And how often the concepts of listening or feedback or um, individual growth plan or handling office politics or fill in the blank, that doesn't come until many, many years later and, and when you've already established yourself. And then you have to almost, it feels like go backwards to try and learn them to be forwards, right? So we wanted to write Arrive, Thrive, and Thrive because we wanted folks to arrive as an individual, think of their leadership as, as how are they coming into the workplace and preparing for success. How do you prepare yourself for success long-term, right? I always talked about with, with newcomers at Macy's when I was in those roles, regardless of the senior leadership roles I had, that you, you had you know, X number of years in elementary school, three years in middle school, four years in high school, sometimes more like five or six years in college. Thank you, mom and dad, or whoever was affording that or loans, right? But you, you had this like start, stop. And then you get into the career world and you might be 20, 25, fill in the blank. But you've got somewhere between 30 and 35 years, unless you win the lottery, that you're going to be working hard and working in a career. So it changes the race. It's no longer those, those sprints of sort. It's now this marathon, right? And so Arrive is about preparing for success. Drive is about delivering results as a team. And so you can really start to think about your leadership role, not as an individual, but as part of a, of a puzzle. And that puzzle is your team. And then the even bigger puzzle is thriving. It's elevating your impact so that you see how your leadership impacts the organization. So it's leading self, it's leading team, it's leading others. And really thinking about not the word survive, I must whisper it because many people have asked me, well, why didn't you say survive? I said, oh, because it's not about survival. It's about thriving. It's about looking back on your career and seeing all the ways that you've added value to people because those people that you've met along the way in your 10, 15, 20, 35 years of a career, that's your mark. <laughs> that's, that's the innovation. That's the results. That's achieving goals. So we wrote Arrive, Drive, Thrive 
as a, as a passion project, you put it all in a book and develop leadership academies for organizations to support their organizations evolving their leadership and people development platforms. I'm actually so glad that you didn't use the word survive. It's something I talk about with my clients. It's something that I think is a value of this podcast, which is that our survival skills are necessary and important and yet at different points of our lives. But I don't know that we're supposed to live always in survival. And I always talk about how you can't actually start to thrive until you modify your survival mechanisms. When you're, yeah. when you're operating from a place of survival, there's really three options, fight, flight, and freeze. And you can't thrive in those places. They're, those are important assets that we can lean into when we need to. But in all of my work that I have done uh, working with horses in the, in the kind of coaching that I do that involves horses, I watch an animal that is a prey animal who lives in community that is on the flight end of the spectrum, who needs to be sensitive to its environment in order to, be, to keep itself safe. And yet they don't live in that survival mechanism all the time. They're in a very soft focused, very community based, very um, at ease in, yeah. in thriving, regardless of many of the circumstances. And so it just gives us a new model for like, how do we evolve our survival skills into thriving skills? And so I just love that you didn't use that word because so much of our current world is focused on how do we survive this? But yeah, I think we I think we can do one better and actually start to thrive. Well, and I, again, it comes back to um, I love what you just said, fight, flight, and, and to really bring it home. Part of what this is about is being prepared. Is, is how do you, from a very beginning part of your journey, we don't want to leave those emerging, aspiring, growing leaders behind and save all of leadership development for the most senior leaders. We want to embed and support organizations really investing in their leaders from the beginning of that leadership journey. So it's really about also being prepared so that you know how to move uh, next. I love that. I love I love how many full circle moments we've been able to have in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> So yes. if, you, if you were going to give men who are leading at whatever level that they're leading in their lives, that could be leading themselves as an individual, that could be at leading their family, that can be leading in their organizations, politics, any place that a man is leading. What if, they, if you could leave a man with one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Like, I do have one and a half. I, I do often share um, as, a, as a moment of levity. Um, that men and women, but men should also be very careful to never fry bacon in the nude. So I do often share that as just like <laughs> a really good advice. Just, just, you know, keep it clean. You know, we just, we, we want to keep you safe. Um, I also would, would share, um, if I had to put a mantra to it, uh, free yourself. Nobody judges you more harshly than you judge yourself. So how do you surround yourself with people? How do you surround yourself with thoughtfulness to be you? Just be you and be open to what that looks like. And through that being you and through that vulnerability, I think men can offer a lot to this world. I know that today men, um, specifically white cisgender men, are feeling on the attack. And uh, don't feel that way. The world has been really crazy for a long time. Um, I don't. I actually, I, I should course correct myself. I don't like that word "crazy." The world has been wild. The world has been complex for a very long time. Um, lean into it with the people that are going to support you, and the people that are going to embrace you and help raise you up. Um, you're not. You're not being blamed. The world has just been complex. And how do you help become part of the solutions and lean into those solutions? So those those are my words of wisdom or words of advice I would share with men is uh is for yourself be you and surround yourself with people that can 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 help become part of the solutions to supporting our our world really beautifully said thank you for offering that if people are interested in finding out more about you about saderman connect getting your book how might they do so out there in the world love that so first and foremost you can find us at satermanconnect.com s a t e r m a n connect Dot com. Great place to just see all things Saderman Connect. Uh, links to the book 
uh, both an ebook and a uh, soft cover uh, located on Amazon and uh, lots of places to reach out to us on the website to learn more about whether it's DEIB work, leadership development work, everything in between. Um, we have an amazing team um, that is ready and excited to partner with you and your organization. And I could not recommend your organization more for people that are really interested in the values that we've talked about here today in our conversation. If you're looking for those strategies, go find Zaterman Connect because you are living in your value system. You're not um, preaching one thing and living in another way. I can see that you're living in that authentic way and that aligned way. And I always want to point to men who are doing that kind of work in the world because there's off, we get a lot of examples of people out of alignment, um, but you showing up in the world fully in alignment, claiming your space and owning who you are as a free being in this world, I think is really beautiful. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for sharing your authenticity and the, the, the man that you are in this world. And thanks for offering the work that you offer in the world. Thank you for having me. And thanks to the audience for tuning in and uh, glad to be here. So thank you for the honor of, uh, of being a part of this. Yeah, you're so welcome. And if you'd like to get in connection with me, you can go to my website at travisstock.com. You can email me directly at travisstock03 at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at traver03. That's where a lot of the ongoing conversations of the new masculine are going on. So feel free to find me at traver03 on Instagram. I'm also on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash the new masculine. That's patreon.com slash the new masculine in order to become a contributor and supporter of the new masculine podcast. Thank you again so much, Josh, for joining me and uh, until our next episode.